Symphony of Shadows, Third Movement, Luce Spenta, L'Ombra More, Revolutions Per Minute, Phrase 2. General Pielton, leader and commander of the People's Liberation Front, the strongest force ever assembled against the unjust Divine Republic, stood with his mouth agape. Axaratus, the second largest planet in this galaxy, was missing a large chunk. Like Eos himself had been passing through an orchard of stars and plucked this planet from orbit to take a bite, then tossed it away. The green, iridescent gas of the planet sprayed outwards in a nebulous cloud, forming a spinning trail along the line of its orbit. It was at once astounding and terrifying. What in all the universe could have done this? But that was not the question that had led him here. It was Commodore Hubble's betrayal. He had scattered his forces across the Constellation Sector, afraid that if she escaped and joined the Divine Republic, they would all be doomed. She was their spymaster, their repository for so many secrets, and she had betrayed them. All of the progress they had made in these long, bloody years would be undone in an instant, a tapestry with one loose thread that the Republic would pull until there was nothing of the richness left, only the thread. The chase had brought Peelton and the bulk of his forces to the damaged Axaratus. They had it on good word that Commodore Hubble's escape ship had met up with a pirate, the cruel Captain Cybele of the Steel Stallion. Whether on purpose or not was a mystery. Hubble had suggested many times that they combine forces with Sornwa, the pirate's de facto leader, in opposition of the Republic, but Peelton had never seriously considered the matter. They may have shared the same enemy, but the pirates could only be trusted insofar as their individual interest and would betray the PLF as soon as it was deemed prudent for them. If the rumor was true, that meant Hubble was either dead or on Providence. Cybele had a dreadful reputation. The cyborg did not believe in half measures if half the stories about him were true. Pilton knew, as everyone in the Constellation Sector knew, but never spoke of, that Providence almost always orbited Exoratus. It was a key strategic position throughout the sector, right between the ice planet Telenumbra, which the gate to the sector orbited, and the most valuable colonies of the inner worlds. Instead of finding Providence, they had found this impossibility. A deep dread was starting to form sharp crystals of doubt that popped in Pilton's chest. We've lost her. But he could not stop fighting. Would not. Not until he was dead, and even then, he would martyr himself in such a way as to be a rallying flag for the just and the right. This was not a failure, but it was certainly a setback. One in a string of setbacks that had dogged the PLF since the beginning. But they had overcome those, and they would overcome this. For now, he needed to return his forces to their hiding place amongst the asteroid field, re-strategize with his remaining Commodore, and warn the Assembly. Turn us around. We're going home, he commanded. Send the message to our remaining forces. The search is over. And get Commodore Shadwell on the line. Yes, General, Shadwell said a moment later over the comms. 
in a way of saluting through his tone, always ready and obedient. We're giving up the chase for now. We need to regroup and consider how her betrayal will harm us, and how to mitigate that harm to an acceptable level. A little more time, General. I can find her. I'm sure of it. Shadwell didn't say, I told you so. He didn't need to, but Pilton knew the man had been right. Entrusting Hubble with so much power was an egregious error. Shadwell always had his suspicions about the traitor. Why didn't I trust him? But he would remedy that mistake. You may take a small force, small, Commodore, and continue the search for another twenty-four hours. I'm near the gate now, General, with a small flotilla. We would know if she had already left the sector. If we wait here, I'm sure we'll be able to capture her, Chadwell said. And what if she already escaped? asked Pilton. That's the thing, sir. There is something odd going on here. What's happening? Pilton's brow furrowed fortifying himself against what could only be more bad news. A lot of civilian and commercial ships are lined up for the gate, but no one is allowed to leave. The Republic is barricading the exit. Pilton cursed inwardly. Providence disappeared, and now this? Was this Hubble's doing? Had they discovered where the rebel forces had been hiding this whole time, and finally decided to trap them all in here? They could destroy a blockade, though, with enough time. Seems like they've been here a while, considering the traffic build-up. But that's good news for... Chadwell paused, and Peelton could hear alarms start blaring. Warships, the Commodore finally said, unbelieving. Oh, Eos, so many warships. Chadwell cursed. Peelton patched into Chadwell's cameras and watched as ship after ship after ship popped out of the gate in an avalanche of quiescent violence. Cruisers, sloops, destroyers, frigates, and a god of war named the Starblinder. A nasty beast Pilton knew both from reputation and experience. And the ships kept coming. An entire armada appeared, and there was nothing Pilton could do about it. With some warning, they could have picked off each ship as it arrived. If they hadn't been distracted by Hubble's betrayal, they would have realized what was happening sooner. The gate was a bottleneck that they could have held and repelled the Republic's superior forces, but now with his own forces spread throughout the sector, there was no way, no time to organize and strike. What have I done? Maybe if he had everyone converge on the position, they could confuse them, break their ranks. Hilton looked at the map of his forces, scattered unevenly across the sector. He'd made a fatal mistake. Him, the leader of the PLF, and it was his people that were going to suffer. They could not take on a force this large, perhaps not even if they were more organized. Hilton shed his fears and his doubt like a snake sheds its skin. Now was no time to freeze. He needed to be a lion. He needed to strike hard and fast like a cobra. Each moment that passed in an action was a moment spent not saving people. Lead them here, all of them, to my location, Hilton commanded Shadwell. But sir, you must do this, Shadwell. Our people, everything we believe is in peril. Bring them here, and we will stand our ground. And in the distraction, our people can escape. They must survive, Commodore. At all costs. 
Sir, there is no reason that you... Began Shadwell, but Peelton cut him off. I am the bait, Commodore. Even still, Peelton could see ships warping into the sector. Hundreds and then thousands. This was a full-fledged invasion. You must act quickly. Bring them to me, to Axoratus, and let us make it known that we would rather die than be chained. Yes, General. It would be my pleasure. And with that, Shadwell shot a missile right up the ass of the armada. Like a flea bite, the forces made to swat at the small annoyance and missed. Shadwell shot several more missiles, expending all of the material of his flotilla, adding to the confusion. The damage was not insubstantial, as more Republic ships warped through the gate and into the now chaotic rear of the armada. And yet, it was terribly, woefully, hopelessly, too little against such an indomitable force. Like a whale, the armada shifted toward Shadwell and his flotilla, gulping in huge swaths of space in an attempt to devour the few ships. Some of the PLF flotilla were instantly destroyed, but the majority escaped at speed. The armada, although large and powerful, by its nature needed to move slowly. If the smaller ships broke ranks, they could easily be picked off. Whomever commanded the armada was no fool, at least not entirely. It appeared they had taken the bait and were following Shadwell in a trajectory straight for Peelton's main forces stationed near Axaratus. Peelton sent a message to the assembly alerting them to the situation and their sole opportunity to escape the sector before they were hunted down by the surprise attack of the Republic. Then he set his mind to how he could buy the valuable hours that would be necessary for the safety of his people. Message, sir, one of his aides shouted. From who? The assembly already? asked Peelton. No, sir, it's... it's the Divine Republic. Peelton felt his jaw tighten, like someone had screwed in the joint. His teeth bore into each other, enamel sawing against enamel. He considered ignoring the call, but the desire to know his foe proved too overwhelming. Where there was an opportunity to talk, there was also an opportunity to stall. Patch them through, said Peelton. A moment later, a dark-skinned man with metal covering half his face and a robotic blue eye appeared on the screen. Peelton knew this man, had skirmished with him in these long years many times. Genoa. He milled the name through his tightened jaw. General Peelton, said the man smoothly. It is always a pleasure. It was a pleasure seeing you run with your tail between your legs last time we met. Peelton knew how vain and quick to anger Genoa was. It was these traits he'd leveraged in their last battle to deal Genoa and the Republic a severe blow less than a year ago. Back so soon for another kick in the arse? Genoa did not display his predictable anger at the swipe. He only smiled, causing the scarred skin around the metal on his face to crinkle. Genoa waved a hand. I wanted you to know that the Pontifex gave me terms for your surrender. He pulled a slip of paper from his jacket and opened it. Quite generous. He gave a sneering smile. Terms, Peelton thought. This could be our chance. Please, 
present the terms for our consideration. Genoa paraphrased. Her radiance offers the pardon of your people in exchange for the PLF leadership's imprisonment and your execution. It's even got her seal. This is the real deal. I would gladly give my life for my people, but I cannot make this choice alone. The assembly must be... Genoa lifted a hand, his smile turning cruel. I think not. He ripped the paper, taking his time to make smaller and smaller pieces. A chance for you to purchase time for some trick. You will not slip away this time, Pilton. Genoa spat. I have my own terms. All of you will die. Some quickly. In the Holocaust, I will unleash against you. Some much, much more slowly. There will be no escape. No quarter given. For generations, they will tremble in fear of what will happen here. And for generations, still, no one will rise against the Divine Republic. Your demise will usher in our next golden age. <laughs> Genoa's laugh was a deep, rolling storm. And just in case you do get any bright ideas, in case you can truly do the impossible and somehow slip the noose that is now around your neck, there's something else you should know. I am closing the gate. Once the remainder of my forces arrive, it will stay closed for three months. That's how long the Republic's actuaries told me was the most time according to their cost-benefit analysis for stopping trade and for the survival of the civilians here. For those three months, you will be trapped, and I will hunt you down, one by one, if I must. Do you understand now? All hope for you is lost, and I am coming for you. Pielton bit back his rage. Then come and get me, he roared, ending the communication. There would be no buying time now. If the gate was closing, there was only one option left. To fight with everything and everyone. At least that simplifies matters, thought Pilton grimly. With no escape, though, Pilton could inspire a fierceness and devise a plan to hold against the Republic's overwhelming forces. For three months? And then what? But he pushed aside those useless thoughts and focused on what he could do now. He would have some time before Genoa arrived with the bulk of his armada, but with his scattered forces, he struggled to think of what he could do with that time. Pilton looked at the map of his own forces and where he knew Genoa to be. He traced the likely route of Genoa's armada 
assuming that he would take the most direct based on how Shadwell was leading them. He moved around the different pieces like he was entering the middle of a chess game against an opponent who still had all his pieces and peeled in with only pawns. It was impossible, he knew, but there was a way to salvage something. He drew up the plan and sent it to his forces. Then he left the command center and began making his rounds of the ship's crew. There was nothing to do now except wait, but Peelton would not be idle. He went to each member of his crew in turn and spoke with them, some of past battles, others of past mistakes now turned funny with the glaze of time, many of their families and more others of their dreams, their futures. It was more like than not none of them would be alive a day from now, so it was important to talk about that sort of thing, to keep spirits high, so they could all meet their fate with dignity. When Peelton had finished, he went to his private quarters and locked the door behind him. The general got on his knees, brought hands together, and prayed to Eos. He prayed, and he wept, and he prayed some more. When he'd finally squeezed out all of the doubt, when he'd finally accepted what was coming, he stood and wiped his face dry. He took in one more deep breath, creating a bulwark of his heart, and returned to the command center. Symphony of Shadows is a production of Synapse Radio, written, produced, and performed by J.S. Rose. Follow us on Instagram at Synapse Radio and Twitter at Connect to Synapse. That's the number two. Or visit our website for all things awesome, synapse-radio.com. Synapse Radio.